Welcome back to the Eliminate Downtime Talk. I'm Sean Brogard. I'm the CEO here at TrackUnit. And today we're going to do another episode and explore how we eliminate downtime in the construction industry. I'm uh, extremely fortunate to help with me today on the program, Demi Knight Clark. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. We've got to start on a little bit of a fun, amazing note because you were explaining me just prior to uh, coming online here, where does this night part of your name come from? I, I think that's an amazing story. Would you mind sharing it? No, I don't mind at all. So uh, I am U.S. based. And so my grandmother was one of the first female Marines, the U.S. Marines in World War II and part of a pilot program for women in the Army Air Corps. And she's she a redhead like myself. Uh, mine's out of a bottle. Hers was real, but she's very fiery, as many redheads are. And uh, she marched right up and said, do you take women to the recruiting station on the way home in a train station? And they said, well, we think we do. We think there's this program. So uh, she also was was very much ahead of her time in terms of female empowerment in the United States. So uh, rather than say she wanted to take her husband's name, uh, back then it was a little more uh, uh, inappropriate to say, I'm going to keep my surname. So she said, every woman that's born or every girl that's born in the family will keep night. That's my wish. Um, so it's like a junior or a, a third or fourth. Uh, so all the women, all the firstborn women in my family and four generations have night as their middle name. Uh, we keep it when we get married. Uh, and yeah, there's a, including my two daughters, they both have it. Very powerful. Great, great little story there. Um, so just help us, uh, Put you in uh, in perspective. What do you do? What's your background? Um, and uh, then we'll dive into uh, today's topic. Sure. So I've spent 25 years in the U.S. construction industry. Uh, I'm going to keep saying that just just in case we've got more of an international audience. Uh, with the largest publicly traded home builder in the world, who's residential, that's D.R. Horton. I was one of seven. Uh, women in high leadership out of 7,000 back in the day. I was with them for about 14 years and had a tremendous experience. A lot of, again, I can't say enough about the male mentors and bosses that I had in my industry. They have since diversified quite a bit. So I want to be very protective of them. Uh, they do a great job of having women ushered in uh, to high leadership now. But it was an interesting journey because it is definitely a male-dominated industry, not necessarily by choice. So uh, I rose up the ranks by really digging in the trenches and getting in the dirt and saying, raising my hand and saying, I want to be an operational leader. And I was able to learn a lot of really great lessons uh, on the job training, as we call it, before I ever went back to school to Yale uh, to, to do that at age 40 and say, hey, where do I want to innovate? And I think that's where my progression in the career went. I, I, I hopped to a, a, the vendor side, uh, was supply side for a few years with a flooring company who was uh, international and said, this is just, we're too antiquated. We've got to push this very antiquated supply chain, labor chain, downtime, as you're calling it, just inefficiencies in general. So when I was at Yale, uh, I, I was really challenged in thought of what should I do next? And I got into more of the fintech space and, and the, the lending space of home building. But then also I started Spark Building Group as one of uh, only 2% in the US who are women business enterprises in construction. So I'm usually in a place, if you haven't already noticed, uh, where the delta is real and women are not, because I want that to be a big part of my legacy. And then I think women solve for a lot of things, not to make this gender specific. We can we all have a lot to solve for in construction, but that's a big part of my day job in Spark is helping companies with inefficiencies and then also solving with deltas by diversity of thought and having a bigger table. Excellent. Love it. Hey, 
Thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me today. So let's let's start by uh, the question of what does downtime mean to you? What what comes to mind? Oh, again, my U.S. perspective it typically goes to labor, uh, and and mm. I I can't stand that word. It's so uh, distancing when you're talking about actual humans. Um, it's like using them as as things rather than people, um, and so it really is just the human element because it is so tricky, especially in I mean, really, it, it's both commercial and residential construction. But there's a lot more of the human work to be done in residential, where there's more innovations and automation in the commercial side and commercial industry. So I typically think of that, of someone not showing up at a job site, pushing everything back by a day, if not days, um, weather delays. We, we used to say that at Dear Horton is that was a Hortonism, like don't give me a weather report if you're a high leader. Um, I don't care if it rained or it snowed or if there was a hurricane, mm -hmm. we have to get the work done, right? So, but those are real challenges and do create downtimes that are necessary uh, because you have a huge barrier in front of you. And then as we were talking before we got on here, so that, that would be one is I usually think of the human element in terms of delays mm. that happen. Uh, no matter how much schedule you have that's automated, you know, there's plenty of scheduling uh, software and uh, services that you can get that'll keep you on track. But that's all just automation and thought. Um, you actually have to get the work done, right? So, and then also this progression into AI, you know, and how does mm. that hit us of can it help date downtime? Can automation in general um, make us better and make us more efficient? Uh, but I, I think of those two things. I think of humans and then I think of technology element and construction. And I, I don't want to say how far behind we are, but how much opportunity is there for mm. us to add technology into our lives. So you can't read a report these days without being reminded that construction is quite uh, non-digital and that we are lacking innovation of funds, IT spend is record low, the overall productivity in construction has been flattening for years. Um, are we looking at a turn? I mean, are you seeing AI being that thing that can ultimately um, make a change in that trend? Or how do you view the... Uh, opportunity ahead of us and construction's ability or our industry's ability to take advantage of these uh, newer techniques and AI in general? I think it's such a great question. And I know it's easy to get overwhelmed. I talk to people all the time, myself included, where it's like, where, where, what are, can we categorize this and down funnel a bit, right? Where it's like, rather than just saying AI, which is so all encompassing, you know, what are the categories that really hit construction that could be, again, this is productivity tools are everything for AI right now that would hit any industry, in my opinion. So let's start there rather than saying AI replacing humans, which is everyone's big fear. Um, ultimately, I think it's something that, no matter what industry you're in, but especially in construction, as we really try to truly figure out the foundational layer of it and then add on AI, I think we haven't hit the foundational layer of like how to become more efficient, to your point. Mm -hmm. Let's not muddy the waters by throwing massive, like very progressive technology styles into that when you can't even be efficient at a foundational level. So I'll kind of back up from that, but I see it as a productivity tool to the direct question of AI. In terms of innovation, uh, I, I think we're, we're typically an industry that will put our heads in the sand, at least in the U.S. There's so much laws, regulatory factions, um, a lot of cookie or hands in the cookie jars of benefit to staying antiquated. <laughs> codes being big and specific law, you know, the laws around permitting and building codes. We could be 3, 3D printing very sustainable houses tomorrow in every one of the major top 25 metropolitan statistical areas in the United States. But because of the codes and because of, you know, how we are making our money, 
uh, that's going to be our biggest thing to mm. overcome. And I think that's no different than talking about climate change and making big strides. It's who's making the money and how do we figure out, is this the best way to do it? And can we be efficient without having to take on some m bigger paradigms than what we're involved in at a local level? But however, I think, it, you know, depending on where you sit in the industry, you can absolutely be more efficient thanks to technology and embrace it. We have a tendency, again, in the U.S. too, is to put it to the human element. And I know I'm very involved in welding because I'm, I'm absolutely passionate that it's a STEM technology and it can make a tie into trade schools. We, we used to be very, and I know I'm kind of skipping subjects here, but it does tie back, I promise, mm. of, you know, the kids who, who wouldn't be uh, uh, good at college or university or, you know, secondary school, depending on the country you're in, uh, us, that's age 18, it would be, uh, oh, you're not smart enough, so go to trade school. Like it was some secondhand mm -hmm. job. It mm -hmm. was something that, you know, you're substandard, so go in the trades. Whereas right. now we're making that tie between everything has a technological component. So mm -hmm. how are we not selling this better to the next generation, what we're calling Gen Alpha in the U.S., which are my kids? They're, you know, 17 and 19. They may not do university because of the prohibitive cost it is in the United States to go to school. We do not provide that to our kids. Um, it's very, very expensive. So why wouldn't they go into STEM, which is so popular, and then also how that fits into construction? There's so much opportunity there. And I'll keep it to the welding example. There's cobots. There's collaborative robots. They're not taking over the world. You know, there's not some minority report movie that's going to come out. We don't have enough welders. We have a deficit of 500,000 welders in the United States. And they're all aging out and retiring. So there is no public relations campaign you can do to get 500,000 welders by next year. However, we have collaborative robots that are working alongside of automated robotics technicians who have gone to four months of school, did not need a college degree or a university degree or certification, and they're going right out for the same kind of money and being in a very progressive side of the industry. So I think that's kind of my use case for saying we should be using situations like that to say, how can we further innovation, which is also going to lessen downtime because innovation and downtime go hand in hand. I think it's yin and yang, right? <laughs> so if you were to uh, point to this example of uh, your robotics in, in welding, where would you, uh, where can you take people? Where, where can we read up on that? Oh, it's, Lincoln Electric is by far, uh, and they're an international company, huge basis in Germany, actually, um, and okay. in Europe, uh, where most of their innovation happens, not to speak for them, but a great partner of mine. Uh, they're headquarters here in, in Ohio, of all places, in the Midwest of the United States, and heavy, heavy innovation base. So they have Cooper the Cobot. Um, it's a gender agnostic name, which I think is beautiful. Uh, and Cooper is, has been deployed all over the world. It's a mobile unit. And basically you can use Cooper for automation. It does require someone programming. And my biggest dream is in, in my spare time, uh, is to take that to have a 10 year old with an iPad who is a girl who is sitting there running Cooper. She knows how to weld. You have to have the fundamental, uh, foundational skills of welding. So you have to pick up a torch or an electrode and know what that's all about, which can be easily taught. But then ultimately she could be running a hundred units down, you know, a manufacturing line that are making fabricated cars, um, or mm -hmm. huge assembly units or construction parts, um, massive steel cables, et cetera. So, uh, it has such, such use. And right now the, the challenge is, is you still have traditional welders and, it's it's in the United States, it's the color of the collar, we call it. So it's blue collar versus white collar jobs. And there's still this blue collar faction that is, well, why would we do that? You know, you're going to put all of us out of business. And it's, 
y'all, we again, we we cannot seem to find your replacement the closer you get to retirement. Mm-hmm. There will always be a need of using your hands. There will always be a take, need. Take however, that example and put that into product into the on a construction site, uh, whatever it is, residential buildings or highway. I mean, where where's your where's your head at in terms of hitting that productivity aspect with automation, with AI and uh, further robotics? Is that is that something you see and are pioneering? Yeah, and it's a great segue because I can get really passionate about welding, which is n- not necessarily all of your audience. You know, the average, again, I'm, I'm going to keep using U.S. base and, and really preface that with my context, mm-hmm. that I think it's an average of 600 people will hit a new construction job site in residential. So a new home that's being built in the U.S., which typically takes uh, about three months to four months to do, um, 90 to 120 days. It's a, you know, mid 4,000 square foot home. Uh 600 people in different trades. That's a lot of people hitting one house to get done for, you know, 20 to 30% margins in gross margin. And it's a very, you know, narrow window of opportunity, right? And so the publicly traded builders, the production builders, which is the same experience could be said or, or example could overlay into commercial construction for a large building. But if 600 people hit it, that's what I was always looking for when I was sitting in the direct seat for a large company was saying, how do we have either less people hitting the job site? Because the more you stack trades on top of each other, the more the window of inefficiency is happening. Somebody's not going to show up or somebody's not going to bring the materials or someone's just not going to do the job because they just started yesterday and they're still learning, which is happening mm-hmm. quite a bit in the US. Somebody's bringing their cousin to do flooring mm-hmm. and they don't know how to do flooring. So it's going to take way more time than they thought it was, not four hours to lay that hardwood. Uh, so where can you start there saying, can it be less people? And then the secondary piece to that is use technology for that, whether it's your scheduling software or whether that's AI to make some answers happen or into your ordering, into your procurement. Um, all these things could be showing up the job site way faster because you have uh, delays even coming out of the pandemic. We still have supply chain delays that are so mm-hmm. antiquated in supply chain. Um, And then uh, last but not least is how could these trades, if we really are trying to keep the trades in the equation and and bolster up like we are in the United States, small businesses, trade businesses, and keep them running and growing, how can we teach them? We call it the stages of construction. So it's 12 stages in a residential construction cycle. How could one company, if they're doing the flooring, could they take on the kitchen and the countertops? And so they could be one trade going through in three days and just knock it all out rather than 10 trades or five trades, let's call it, in different disciplines coming in and jumping on top of each other and having to be managed. So those are very simplistic answers. Inroads in that ambition? Is technology making it easier for combining trades and for increasing efficiency? I think you talked about reducing the cycle time early on or yeah. as we spoke previously you know if, if you just look at the last 10 or 15 years how far have we come in reducing cycle times and combining trades yes i think there's so much that, again us there's a lot to be learned from it and then also yes there's tons of efficiency there again procurement ordering having it drop actually on time in real time knowing how to track it um, scheduling. Uh, there's already been major strides in scheduling. So I'm curious to see what AI can do for that in terms of not necessarily needing someone sitting in an office and being a scheduler. Um, you know, there are just scheduling services that are 100% online. Um, however, there's usually a human that's getting involved and in doing a follow-up call, etc. So could you have virtual assistants and AI chatbots and all of that type of a thing? Um, I think 
think that's definitely going to lend itself to efficiency. You know, are we going to have cobots doing the jobs on the job site? No, I think the efficiency is going to come into the building materials. And I know in the mm. United States, our biggest challenge is our, our, our lobbies, you know, when we have a major lumber lobby um, and we have a major drywall lobby, will we ever change our materials? And it will probably have to be those companies that switch into alternative materials and then make that adoption and make that into codes to say, hey, if we 3D print a house, we can do that in three days. I mean, we can do that in three days. Are the codes going to support it? And then also is company X, who used to be the drywall company and the framers, going to say, we're going to switch into the innovation side. So that's the, what I struggle with on the right here is to say, do you create a startup that is that alternative, which we're watching and, and they're making so much traction, but then it stops because then you're up against the lobbies or you're up against mm. massive companies that could just have a disruptive arm that says, well, we're going to do instead of concrete, we're going to go into 3D printing uh, concrete materials and let's do that. But it's the adoption rate is less because there's not enough money in it yet. Also, prefabrication has been one of the major efficiency gains, right? Is, yeah. is that is that coming sort of to to an end now? Are you and we done what we what we could? No. Yeah, I just I know uh, I, I was talking to somebody the other day. Uh, Warren Buffett's side, his he has two or three companies on this that are really heavily into prefab, and that's public information. You know, I'm not saying anything right. secretive. You can go read up on that. Is uh, it's coming back and it's much higher quality. I, it, mm -hmm. it got a very bad rap in the U.S. for a long time because it was like a mobile home. Effectively, it's hard to just say like yes, that is something. But now we've had tiny houses, we've had 3D printed houses, we have all these vacation homes that are these little teeny things on. Wheels. So I think the adoption and then also this next generation of home buyers in the US is very climate conscious. Um, mm. You know, what we call Gen Z, they are absolutely saying like what has been built with sustainable materials. So I think the combination is we're, we're watching a culture shift. Unfortunately, in the US and residential, that's not the majority of home buyers yet. That's still going to take about five to 10 years for them to come into the majority with the purse strings. And then when you have interest rates as they are, uh, there's less of that. New construction is fueling our economy for sure in terms of mm -hmm. home home buying, but with the interest rates as they are, it's a lower application volume and a lower build than ever before. But it yes, I do think it's much, much more adopted. You can talk forever and uh, I'm fascinated about uh, both your pace and uh, what you have to share here, but we, we do have to, uh, to to land the plane, so to speak, if you were to draw our audience to uh, some of your work or articles, where, where can we go read up on your line of work and uh, your line of thinking? Great question. Uh, you could go to my website, which is Spark Building Group. Uh, I've done a few TED Talks. I'm about to be at TED Women next week, um, talking to CEOs about uh, not just construction and women in construction, but really our innovation um, and our level of diversity of thought, because we think about these things and are very mindful. Uh, if you want to read up on anything, you know, innovation uh, in the U.S., I think the National Association of Home Builders is a really great start. Um, we have Construction Connect. Uh, it, I mean, it's it's going to be a really interesting space in the next year. Uh, and I hope to be in the center of it to say, let's I, I want it to succeed across the world. So let's let's all jump in and, and embrace it. Hey, we'll make sure to put these uh, links to your TED Talks into the show notes. Thank you so much for being on the show today. It was a great pleasure getting to know you. And to all our viewers, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and stay tuned in on more episodes of the Downtime Talks. Thank you very much.